Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. This week's show marks episode 98 of After the Jump, and as I get closer to the end of the year, I wanted to tackle one of the biggest issues in the creative community, the future of print publication. Starting in 2008, the lifestyle community saw the death of many of its most beloved publications. House and Garden, Gourmet, Domino, Blueprint, Ready Made, Met Home, Cookie, and many, many more. While a few have come back in less frequent forms, the industry seems to be struggling to regain its foothold in a drastically changed advertising and reader market. In their place, a wide range of wonderful independent publications have grown and seem to be building sustainable models for print in a slightly more niche manner. Today, I am so excited to be joined by three of my favorites, Paul and Paul of Sweet Paul Magazine, Michelle of Gather Journal, and Janine of Uppercase Magazine, who's joining us on the phone from Canada. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. Welcome. Thanks. And can you hear us, Janine? Hi, Janine. (laughs) So I'm so happy to have you guys all here. Um, Before we start, I want everyone to sort of introduce themselves. Could we go around, starting with Janine on the phone, and tell us about your magazine, what you cover, when and when you started. Hi, Grace. Thanks for having me. Um, I wish I could be there in person. Um, So, yeah, Uppercase founded in 2009, and it was really right after you mentioned all those magazines that had folded that I was lacking something to read, and that inspired me to start my own magazine. Um, So, yeah, 2009 is when when I launched it. And, Janine, how often are you publishing? Sorry, can you repeat that? Sorry, how often are you publishing? Oh, Uppercase is a quarterly magazine. Great. All right, let's go to you, Michelle. Hi, I'm Michelle Outland. I'm the creative director at Gather Journal and co-founder with Fiorella Valdesolo, who's the editor. And unfortunately not here today, but wish she could be. Um, We are a recipe-driven food publication. We publish twice a year, and we launched in the summer of June 2012. Great. And one of the Pauls, who'd like to take this one? (laughs) Well, I'm Paul. I'm the sweet one. (laughs) And uh, I launched Sweet Paul in 2008, and I started out as a 100% online magazine, and then we turned into print um, about two years later. And we're a magazine about food and craft and lifestyle. I usually say it's about everything that makes life worth living. And let's go in reverse order now. Paul, what inspired you to start a magazine and to go from being online to print? Because that's a daunting jump. So what made you decide that was worth taking? Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't exactly take that decision by myself. I, I had some help. Um, the story is <laughs> that I was actually in my bathtub. And I have this thing where I read emails on my phone in the bathtub. I don't know why, but I just do it. And there was an email from Anthropology telling me that, asking me... Or saying that, you know, we want to 
we're going to sell your magazine. And I remember <laughs> writing back in the bathtub that, yeah, that's great, but you know, it's an, actually an online magazine, so it's a little difficult. Um, but they were very persistent and um, helped me with a big enough order for the first one so that it could turn into print. I would have done it eventually, but I wouldn't have done it that early. That's good. What about you, Michelle? Um, my background, as well as Fiorella, we both worked in the print publishing industry in New York for a long time. I was the design director at Domino Magazine and was very, very sad when it folded. And um, we met while we were working at Nylon Magazine, which is, um, you know, a downtown magazine, but still national readership. And so after just sort of culminating all of our different experiences, um, we we love print, and so we decided to do our own print publication. So we learned a lot from working at Nylon. We learned a lot from working at these major corporate magazines. Um, but we also wanted a forum for our own creative expression, and and it was just this wonderful time for independent publishing and just to, like, take the jump and do it. And, Janine, what about you? You were starting out in 2009. What inspired you to go into print versus starting, let's say, like an online magazine? Well, I'm a graphic designer and a print designer, so I have that background. Um, I have I designed a lot of um, books for, for clients, and I had also been designing an occasional magazine for a client. Um, and they've were very occasional. There was actually a stretch of four years between issues. So when that magazine finally folded, the magazine part of my brain was free, and I decided, you know, now's the chance for me to make something of my own. And I was coming from it uh, from a graphic design standpoint that I wanted to be able to design my own content. I think one of the most difficult things starting out with any print publication is funding that very first round. Um, how did each of you fund the first round? Paul, yours was, I guess, anthropology? Or was that separate? Well, they, they, they made a big enough order so I actually could do it. But, you know, I had to, to dig deep in my own pockets to be able to do it. That's mm -hmm. what you have to do. If you want to run a magazine, you better have some deep pockets. Michelle, what about you? Um, same for us. We, you know, saved up our money and self-funded it ourselves. So we went in 50-50, but we started out very conservatively. I put together a budget, and we figured out how to make it work within a budget with a very small business plan. Um, but, yeah, it, it like Paul says, <laughs> uh, you need to have a lot of passion and some pockets. <laughs> I think that's smart. I think we were talking about this before we started recording, how it's smart to start and stay small as long as possible because it makes you nimble and able to change when things get tough. How, and I'm glad you started with a business plan. Um, Janine, did you start with a business plan for uppercase or did you kind of just jump in? Um, I jumped in. <laughs> I had, uh, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was getting into, but um, I had uh, savings and a line of credit, and um, that's initially how it was funded, along with some pre-orders. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, it was just kind of uh, crossing my fingers and hoping that the readership that I had through my blog would see the value of um, supporting what I was doing in print. And how did the three of you decide, or four of you, how, how did you guys decide to decide? decide to set your price for that first issue? Was that something you did based on the cost of production, or did you sort of look around? I always find that incredibly interesting, because some publications have much, much higher price points than others, and I always wonder, what's the, the real reasoning behind that? Maybe start with, with Paul. Well, you know, um, all of our magazines print in, like, you know, we, we have smaller print runs, 
And the smaller you print, the more expensive the magazine. That's why, you know, some of these, you know, that's why Vogue, who are like 700 pages, can sell, sell for like 450 because they print so many magazines. And we also print in a, you know, we print in good paper, you know, it's environmentally friendly, um, it's freight, it's, um, I think what you have to, to, to do is that, you know, you just have to look at all the costs, what you need to make, and then set the price from there. What about you, Michelle? Uh, it was about the same. Um, it, was, it was definitely a mix of looking at what other similar publications were pricing out at and then also reversing it into a production cost. But like Paul said, our initial run, we basically made zero money <laughs> because it was such a small run and we used every penny to, to print. What about you, Janine? Yeah, similar to both of you, um, that the price was first dictated on, on the fact that I would be having to spend a certain amount of money to print every issue. And like Paul said, my first print run was only a 1,000 copies, so the per-issue price was quite expensive. So I based the cover price on, on what could be sustainable, um, what I could also still price at a reasonable amount for, say, stockists and wholesale rates, and then kind of hoped that, you know, as my readership would grow and I could increase my print run, the actual physical print cost of my magazine would go down as my print run goes up. That's great. Um, what do you guys think about the way that, I mean, for me, as someone who's buying these publications and not making them myself, it seems like there's a new indie print pub like every month, which is exciting and makes me really hopeful for the future of print. And for a while, it felt like every mainstream media was piece was writing about how online magazines were the future of publishing and there were like dozens and dozens of them that seemed to pop up between like 2010 and 2012 and then that would say the vast majority of them have either gone under or turned back into blogs what do you think it is about this sort of independent public or publishing niche that seems to have been maybe more sustainable or successful than the online format Michelle, you want to take that one? <laughs> um, well, for me, I'm just thankful because I love print and I'm so happy that people are embracing it. And just for me personally, I spent a long time figuring out what our papers were. I wanted it to be a really tech type experience. We found an amazing printer named Hemlock Printers, who Sweet Paulosa prints with, in, um, based in Vancouver, Canada. And they just believe in print and they're really artists that printing and so I'm hoping that sort of craft is reflected in our final product and I'm thankful people find that valuable enough to pay you know our $20 price um, we only publish twice a year so we hope it's something special and unique that people want to invest in and will keep hopefully Janine how do you feel about that I, I feel like I've known you through the internet for years now and I feel like you're someone <laughs> who I associate very much with a web presence as much as print now um, what do you think about sort of the online magazines um, as opposed to sort of smaller print pubs that seems to be doing really well right now? Um, well, I've never, I don't have a, the ability, technically speaking, to do um, like, a, say, a, a digital version of, of my magazine. It's a, a one-woman operation, and so I've never invested the time in learning how to, say, do a, a web app or an iPad version. And my love is print. so. I actually haven't paid too much attention to online magazines because I just have so much to do and focus on in the realm of print that I've just decided that's where my my specialty is and that's where my readers love to be as well. And so I just focus on that. 
Paul, let's start with you for the next one. What do you think sets apart this sort of wave of independent publications like all of you and magazines like Anthology and Inventory and all these great sort of art-focused publications? Why do you think people are feeling drawn to support these publications financially um, in addition to sort of big mainstream magazines? Because I feel like people can see that we are very sincere and very very, um, genuine. You know, we are, you know, we're small groups, you know, Sweet Paul is like three people. Um, we're not uh, driven by what the advertisers tell us. And, um, you know, we can kind of, we can put whatever we want in the magazine. As someone who's been working with magazines for like 25 years, it's so liberating to not have to have like, long meetings about, you know, the plates or the, the fabric that food is going to be on or if the food is going to be like this or like this. We just make what we want to see and what we think are, you know, beautiful and great recipes or fun craft projects. And I think it's, I think that people can, I think our readers can sense that, that there is something very genuine and real about these magazines. And I think that's the big selling point. What do you guys think about the sustainability of sort of larger mainstream magazines who are spending like $100,000 on photo shoots where so much of it is driven by advertisers or requests from outside of the magazine? Do you think that's sustainable or will it be a relic of sort of the Condé Nast golden era? There's, there's definitely a market for it, but I think that today it's not enough to just have a magazine. You have to have a very strong online presence. You have to have videos. You have to have how-tos. There's so many different things you have to do. I mean, let's for us, we we do the magazine, but there are so many other things we have to do to in order to make money. Because let's face it, you know, you're not going to exactly, you know, become like a millionaire <laughs> if you run a magazine. So you know, we have to have we have to do all these other things, and I kind of think that it keeps us on our toes. So we get creative, and I feel like maybe the big mainstream magazines aren't that good at doing that. I, I think that we also have something that really speaks to people. Like, I know Gather and Anthology and Uppercase. Like, I think that there are people out there who our content sings to their heart. And I don't think you would find somebody that would say, I don't want to name a... a a women's service magazine, but oh, like a, a supermarket magazine, like a supermarket, <laughs> like a women's day or something like that. I mean, there are people who have read it for generations and I think there's that tradition, but I don't think that that content is really so genuine that it really speaks to somebody at the level that we're touching them with our messaging and content. Absolutely. I think there is that there's a personality driven aspect when you have a smaller team like this, that's just impossible to have at a large scale, which is both good and bad for both publications. Um, And I think I've been sort of following very closely the revenue and funding model for all of these indie pubs to see what's working and what's not working. What do you guys make of sort of the crowdfunding um, aspect of funding publications like this? Janine, let's start with with you. What do you sort of feel about the idea or the sustainability of crowdfunding for print publications? Um, Well, I think it's a good way to launch a magazine, but I'm not sure if it's easy to sustain that sort of momentum um, to to keep issues coming out. Um, so I haven't done my own uh, like Kickstarter campaign, 
Um, I did one um, for a book project, just sort of my own DIY Kickstarter on, on my website, but that's just for a one-off project. I think I've seen some magazines that have tried to do Kickstarter um, projects for each and every issue that comes out, and um, I'm not sure if that's sustainable. I think that that's uh, investing too much time into the effort of this this momentum of a campaign rather than nurturing a long-term relationship with your subscribers. What do you, Michelle, what do you think about that? Um, I think that's great advice or just a comment on what she just said. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say because I, I feel for everyone to each their own method. But just from personal experience, from what I've seen, I do agree that um, it's a great way to maybe launch. But then my advice to people who are doing that is just to be super smart with your money. Um, because I think after that, it's, it is quite hard to ask for more. And so, and I think for us, when it was, it's every penny of it was ours, we really, really watched it. <laughs> and so, um, and we're really conservative. So I, I don't know, maybe that's my only advice is just to have sort of a smart plan financially. Mm-hmm. What do you guys make of the sort of blending of e-commerce and retail with publications? That was something I know that I think most readers were shocked to see when that first started happening and now it sort of seems to be the complete norm to have publications selling things that are either in the pages or as part of a collaboration what do you guys think of that method of funding at least partially print publications paul why don't you start i don't see anything wrong with it you know you 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 will have to you have to make money somehow and you know as soon as as long as you tell people that this is a collaboration as you don't you know you don't hide it uh, as something else, then it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's perfectly fine. What about, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. I, I think it's a totally different model, though, than what, what we're doing. Like, you need specialists in retail and, and bringing things to market and collaborating and developing products and stuff like that. Whereas, I mean, we, I know at this point, we couldn't undertake something like that unless we got some experts involved in that area. <laughs> But, I, I mean, we both love to consume that kind of content. We love it. What about you, Michelle? Uh, well, we actually launched with a small e-commerce site on our site. Uh, we, For each issue, we curate a selection of products that go with the issue. And it, it was kind of done for no reason beyond it was fun for us to do. And we just love that other aspect of creating sort of more of a 3D environment. And actually this past summer we did a pop-up shop at Space 98 here in Williamsburg and it was a really fun way to see gather in three dimension. And we, you know, they did a beautiful job sort of designing the space to our whole caravan desert theme and it kind of brought the whole brand into and I think that's also the thing that we've kind of been talking about is that we can create these magazines, but we also need to create a brand. And I think that's, as we keep continuing, we're finding that to be more and more important in a way. And, find, you know, having an online presence and this and that and just a whole gather world. <laughs> and so we've been, we've been edging into that a little bit more. Yeah. I'm, I want to ask you a bunch more questions about branding. I think that's sort of the future of where this is going. But we're going to take a very quick break, and I'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. 
Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hey, and welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm talking with Michelle Outland of Gather Journal, both Paul's Vital and Lowe of Sweet Paul Magazine, and Janine Van Gool of Uppercase about the future of print and the creative community. Before the break, we were talking a lot about sort of the nuts and bolts of getting something started, how you fund, how deep you have to go into your own pockets to make a print publication start. But I want to talk a little bit about sort of the lessons you've learned along the way, because I think a lot of people are thinking about starting print publications. It's a dream of theirs, whether it's bloggers turning blogs into magazines or just people who think their ideas are best expressed in print versus online. Um, what's the biggest lesson each of you have learned in writing and publishing your own magazine? Michelle, let's start with you. Um, biggest lesson and or advice I could give is just be super passionate about what you're going to do because it's going to consume your life. <laughs> You'll be working 24-7 <laughs> on it. So if it's not something you love... Don't do it. <laughs> Janine, what about you? I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I, I love design, and I, I love the concept of creating my own magazine. But I, when I started it, I didn't really have an idea of how much work it would be just to um, do the logistics side, say, of a magazine that has subscribers, of the, the shipping and the database management and all of that infrastructure that I needed to create. Um, so if I hadn't had the passion for the content and what I was creating, doing all that other stuff might have been impossible. So the biggest thing I learned after the fact was just how, how much work it would be and how all-encompassing it is to create a magazine. Paul, what about you? Same thing. You know, you have to, you have to be able to clone yourself into at least 100 people because you have to, like, you have to be an expert and, like, in absolutely everything. Um, from shipping to printing to going over contracts to answering emails. There's so many things. But I would say that the most important thing is that you have to have a passion and then you also have to have a very unique voice because why are, why are people going to buy a magazine? What are you going to say? What's, what's going to be in it? You know, everyone, I talk to people all the time and says, oh my God, yeah, I really want to make a magazine. I want to make a magazine. Yeah, that's great. Make a magazine, but what are you actually going to say? What are you going to tell people? 
I think that's something that's happening, and and obviously everybody I'm talking to today, and all of you. But I think in my favorite independent publications, what stands out for me is the cohesiveness of your visions. It's the fact that I feel like if I open this magazine, I know exactly what I'm getting, and I think that's true of blogs and any other publication is that if someone feels like they trust and understand the voice and they're not confused by it, that's one of the strongest selling points for something like that. Um, But I think to change gears a tiny, tiny bit, I always love to know what's a learning lesson you've had from something that didn't go well. I think I learn most from when I do something that doesn't work out and then I learn to improve my method. What's uh, an example that each of you have had where something didn't go quite right in the magazine process that you learned from? Uh, Janine, let's start with you for this one. Um, well, that's a fairly recent one for me because as I, I grew the magazine, I always imagined that I would eventually have staff to help with everything. And this year I had to let go um, three people throughout the first six months of the year, my, my subscription manager and then my marketing person and then an intern that was with us for a couple of months. And so that was a huge learning experience um, to kind of, had them and then and lose them and it it just came down to finances really um, that that having that many people on board um, with the magazine that I have it just wasn't sustainable so I've I've returned back to my my solo roots and I'm doing anything everything myself so I've learned a lot this year about what the capacity is for for my particular publication but also that actually I really love doing it all by myself that that I'm able to do a lot because it, I'm so passionate about it that having someone else that you're paying to be as passionate as, as, as I am was just like near impossible. So it's been a big year for me of, of learning, but thankfully things are, are on the up and up. Paul, what about you guys? Well, ours are pretty recent. Um, I would say always... <laughs> Always check emails like two or three times, especially when it comes to the the quantity of magazines that you order, <laughs> uh, and make sure that you actually press send when you send in the order for the magazines. Let's just say that we have a few extra holiday issues. So if anyone wants to buy some, please please contact us. <laughs> Michelle, what about you? Um, I guess some of the it just. The feeling is that, like, anything that you have planned, like, any, you're like, all right, here's our vision for this issue. Let's do it. Something always goes wrong. There will be something in the road, if not several things in the road that go wrong. So I think we learned that from the first issue, and we're still experiencing on our sixth issue. So um, I think it's just a matter of being able to roll with the punches a little bit and just, just like, it's not going to be the end of the world, but it's going to be stressful for a few minutes. So... Yeah, it's a lot of bumps, but you just roll with it. And I think if if you have that attitude, it's all right. (laughs) I think also trying not to force things and just going, um, maintaining and growing the relationships with partners that you have and stuff. I think, um, for instance, when we were first starting to try to distribute the magazine, we would be like, oh, I want it in this store, this store, and this store. And the time and energy that you have to do to introduce your brand to somebody who doesn't know you and then sell them on buying a magazine. Um, When we stopped focusing on that and started focusing on putting the message out there that we're selling the magazine and if you want to sell it, come to us. And I think the same thing with advertising and all of that kind of stuff. If you put 
the energy out there that you're you know willing to talk to people about stuff and they come to you the partnerships and relationships are just much more natural and organic it's basically Oprah's The Secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just put it out there. Um, well, so pull uh, sort of 180. I want to talk with three, each of you about what's the sort of proudest or greatest success moment you've had with your publication so far? Uh, what's the moment where you felt like, I'm so glad we did this and this is a great example of it? Let's start with you, Paul. Um, this. There's not really like one moment. I would say I, I would say the most gratifying thing for me is that whenever I get stopped on the street or stopped at the flea market or you know harassed in a restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, harass away, um, or get emails or letter gifts when people tell me that they really love what we do and um, you know they they do the recipes they do the craft projects and they just want to they just want to like like today i got this email from a, a woman that she was just sending me an email saying that oh i just want to say that i really really love the magazine and thank you so much and you know i love i really enjoy your world and i think that for me is like the that is so super gratifying what about you michelle um, similarly, you know, uh, since we are a recipe-based food magazine, um, for example, someone sent us an email that they discovered Gather because they went over to someone's house and they had a dinner party where the whole menu was from Gather, and that's how they discovered Gather. And, like, it, we couldn't ask for anything more gratifying than that because that is the point of cooking and eating together and being together. So that was... Um, wonderful. So whenever we hear that, that's gratifying. But also just on a personal level, when we got the first issues in and I held it in my hand, I was so teary. <laughs> and it happens almost every issue that we get in. But that first one was pretty awesome. Janine, what about you? What's been sort of the proudest moment with Uppercase so far? Well, I'm just uh, so pleased that I'm still doing it all these years later. Like I'm working on issue 24. So I'm just uh, always so grateful for my readers who are supporting this creative endeavor that I'm doing. So I'm just, yeah, in awe that I'm still doing it all these years later. And and like you both said, that when you hear from a reader who really connected with what you were putting out there, that's just that's great validation. It just makes you feel so good that that your readers are really taking to heart what you're putting out there and that they're they're benefiting it from it in a real personal and important way. We're almost out of time, which I could talk to all of you for hours about this topic, but I want to end things by talking about what you think the future of publishing is for the next few years, at least. I feel like it's impossible to predict anything like 10 years out now with the way that readers are sort of changing their expectations and the distribution market is changing. But for each of you, how do you see uh, print publications progressing for the next few years. It doesn't have to be black or white, but what are some trends or things you're seeing that you think will continue in the next few years? Michelle, let's start with you on this one. Hmm, tough one. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I mean, I hope that we can continue publishing as we do and just keep growing a bit. Um, um, I don't know. I'm a bit stumped on this question. <laughs> Janine, what about you? <laughs> what do you think the future of publishing for the next few years is? I think it's going to stay as it is now with with print having a better grip than than uh, digital versions. Like when I launched the magazine right after that it was like all about, you know, iPad apps and and digital magazines and that didn't really fare so well. Didn't really have a lot of traction. I think perhaps that the technology 
will change. We can't even predict what it's going to do, but people love print and paper and holding something tactile and having something where they can pick up the magazine and they don't have to be distracted by technology and being tethered to the Internet while they're looking at it. So I think the future of print publishing is really strong for the next five years at least. Paul, what about you guys? I totally agree. I think the future is very bright for print. I, uh, it's not the same reading a magazine on an iPad. You have little things popping up, and it's kind of, you know, in the beginning I was trying to get used to it. I just find it super annoying. So there's some, there's definitely something with a print magazine. As for me, as you know, I'm a, the big bathtub guy. <laughs> I love being able to take my magazines to the bathtub and read them there. I can't really do that with an iPad. So, yes, I think the future is bright. That's good and very promising. So we're almost out of time. I want to ask each of you sort of rapid-fire questions before we go. Lighthearted, fun, <laughs> no pressure. Oh, good. So, all right, the first question is for each of you. What was your favorite magazine you read when you were younger? Paul, let's start with you. Uh, what, how, how young? Remember, I'm, <coughs> I'm an older any, gentleman. Any age. Okay. Um, the British Elder Corps. Oh. <laughs> I like to imagine you were like seven years old. <laughs> Maybe oh, it seven. Oh, 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 seven. Um, I, Tintin. Tintin. Good answer. Michelle, what about you? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess younger, it was like sassy mademoiselle, and then the face was pretty oh, seminal for me. I love it, sassy. That was so good. Janine, what about you? What did you like reading when you were younger? Um, well, when I was really young, my parents had subscriptions for me for um, Chickadee and Owl magazine, those kids' magazines. <laughs> but the defining magazine for me was Communication Arts, which I was introduced to when I was in high school. And that's how I learned about graphic design as a, as a career option. So, um, yeah, Communication Arts, I'd say, would have the biggest influence on, on where I went with my career. It was a great publication. I grew up with a dad in mm -hmm. advertising, and that always came home as well. That was a fun one. Um, who do each of you look up to when times are tough or you're feeling uninspired with the magazine? Michelle, who's someone that you admire or look up to? Um, creatively? Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of the women that I've worked for. Um, I've worked had the great fortune of working for a lot of small smart, creative women, so um, a lot of them are great role models for me. Paul, what about you? It is, there's, there's like no person really that I kind of do that with. It's more like if I feel uninspired, if I feel like, oh, I need like some input, I go to a museum, I go up and down Fifth Avenue and look in the window stores. Um, yeah, oh. stuff like that. Janine, is there anyone you look up to when you need a little bit of extra push? Um, I think my answer is similar to Paul in that there isn't one person that I'll that I can turn to. I kind of wish there was. Uh, I feel a little <laughs> bit isolated about that being here in Calgary. But um, when I'm having some some down moments or feeling like a little exhausted by it all, just taking a break from it and stepping back a few hours later or a day later is just that's that's how I I kind of find my way and find new focus and enthusiasm. Can I say something? Yeah. Do you know what's a really good, like, little break if you feel, like, a little down and kind of like, ugh, you think the world is kind of crap? Watch the Ellen show. 
<laughs> I guess. <laughs> it is. It all makes, it always makes me smile and in a very good mood. And she always ends the show with be good to another. I think that's like, I think that's what we should. If, we, if you take away one thing tonight, be good to each other. I think there's not a better closing for a television show out there. Um, <laughs> last but not least for all of you, if you could give anyone else, not yourselves, a magazine about any topic, who would it be and what would it be about? Uh, Janine, let's start with you. Who would you want to see produce a magazine and about what? Oh, my. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I have to pass that on to someone else. I'll come up and with you an call, idea in a moment. I would love to give every single kid Anorak magazine. Do you guys know this magazine? Mm-hmm. It's the most beautiful magazine. They're based in the UK. And I want to buy it for every kid in the world <laughs> because I love it. And I wish that I could experience it as mm-hmm. a child because I love it that much. That would be good. Michelle, what about you? If you could give anyone the funds to start a magazine about anything. I know. I'm feeling very stumped on this one. Also. <laughs> Um, I'm just trying to think of, I mean, the the stuff that's popping in my head are just a lot of my visual artist friends who are just doing amazing work. Um, uh, (laughs) Anyone? Uh, Okay. You just gave me an idea, Grace. Oh, go for it, Janine. I I would love to have my readers create a special magazine, uppercase related, but entirely made by my readers. That would be fun. Paul, do you have something? Yeah. I kind of do, but it's a little selfish. It's okay. <laughs> of course. Okay, so I will give it to myself. Because, <laughs> because I have, like, um, besides food and crafts, I have another passion, which is, you know, is a fashion. I would love to make a fashion magazine for the more pleasantly plump men in the world. I very much like that answer. I think that's a good one to end on. So we are out of time, but thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Um, Let's go around, starting with Janine. Where can everybody find uh, your magazines? Um, Well, I'm online at uppercasemagazine.com and um, have a nice roster of independent stockists around the United States and around the world, and you can find that at uppercasemagazine.com slash stockist. Uh, same thing, gatherjournal.com, and all of our stockists are listed on there as well. Same thing, sweetpaulmag.com and at Anthropology. Janine, Michelle, Paul, and Paul, thank you so much for joining me on air today. Thank Thanks you. to all of you for listening. We'll see you next week for episode 99. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.